Hey everybody, I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning at WorkInSports.com, and this is the Work in Sports Podcast. There is a bit of an unfortunate truth in the sports industry. Sometimes job titles can mean very different things to different people in different organizations. Take the term marketing for one. People tell me all the time, I want to work in sports marketing. And I say, okay, what's specifically in marketing? because that is a really broad term. Marketing could be project managing billboards around town or email outreach, tossing t-shirts on game night, or it could be Google paid advertising, social media campaigns, sponsorships, activations, athlete side marketing, branding. When you see a job listing for a marketing manager, make sure you read the job description and tailor your resume and cover letter for that specific role and the demands of it. Another term that has a pretty wide berth is player development. Taken on its surface, you are in charge of developing the player. Makes sense, right? But there are really two different aspects of this. There's on the field of play player development, and there's off the field of play player development. So to explain a little deeper, you will see player development roles that involve assisting athletes, whether they be in college or the pros, in adjusting to their new life getting settled, knowing the way around town, where to get food, how to get set up with a financial advisor, and more. These are vitally important roles that colleges and pro organizations take on to make sure they get the most out of their investment. If a player is worried about having a place to live or knowing what classes to take, they are more likely to be distracted and not perform at their best. But there is also another type of player development, and that's what we're going to focus on today on this show. That is the magic that happens in organizations between acquisition and true potential. Let's use baseball as an example. Player A gets drafted. They are 18 years old. They just graduated high school, and now they are in your system. Unless their name is Mike Trout, it is a long way to a major league city. Player development is everything that happens between acquisition and making the major leagues how to play, how to eat, how to train, how to mentally prepare, how to practice, how to identify and work on your weaknesses, how to understand game strategy and organizational philosophy. These development plans are all customized for each individual in the organization. Having a plan and executing it is the best way to make your investment in a player reach its true potential. It's a fascinating process, one that happens behind the scenes of sports organizations at all levels. Because success equates to value, and failure costs time, money, and effort. Over the last 40 years, one of the most respected men in baseball team management and player development has been Dan Duquette, former GM of the Red Sox, Orioles, and Expos. The list of players he has acquired and developed into major league talent is stunning. I won't list them all here. It'll take too long. Dan joined me on this show earlier this year to talk about his career, how he got to where he always wanted to be, becoming an executive, his decision-making process, trusting yourself in all processes, and a breakdown of player development. During the month of December, we'll be running back some of our most popular episodes from 2020, and we kick it off with two-time MLB Executive of the Year, Dan Duquette. Hey, Dan, how's it going today? 
Good, Brian. How are you? I'm doing really well. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing. I mean, with with the, your decades of experience in the baseball industry, it's so great to have you on the show to share so much of your background. So thanks for coming on. Yep, my pleasure. So I feel like there's a lot we have to talk about and discuss, um, but let's start out with this. You reached the highest heights of the sports industry, two-time executive of the year in Major League Baseball, and yet you come from somewhat of an interesting background as an English major in college. So I wonder, as that translates to today's sports industry, do you think you can still become a two-time executive of the year as an English major, or are we living in a completely different world with different expectations now? Yeah, well, I mean, the good news is is that if you get a uh, broad-based education, which is a liberal arts education, you ought to be able to use your head. And, uh, you know, a lot of uh, executives, uh, I graduated from Amherst in 1980, uh, but Harry Dalton, who hired me, was an English major. He graduated in 1950 from Amherst. And I think a lot of the uh, executives today have had a, a broad-based um, back, background in, in uh, liberal education to, you know, to give them a springboard to go on and do well in, in pro sports. I, I think really it, it, you know, the training is to uh, you know, teach you how to think and use your skills. And, uh, you know, if you have a passion for something, which I did for baseball, um, you know, you should be able to find your way. It makes you wonder if we all look at the wrong things when we hire staff. I mean, I think we get so locked in on this concept of having an exact match to a skills profile and a sports background and this and that and whatever. And yet you might be missing out on people who, like you said, have critical thinking skills and passion. Are we going about it the wrong way when we look at hiring? Well, I, I think the, uh, you know, there, there, there are certain skills that uh, that are in demand in a workplace, and in all workplaces, one skill that's always in demand is, is dependability, you know? And, and another skill that's in demand is uh, enthusiasm. And, you know, <laughs> those, those, are two, those are two criteria that I think will go a long way towards helping people, you know, not only find... Um, a vocation uh, that they feel strongly about, but also help them do do well in that vocation. So, uh, of, of course, you need skills, and, and uh, jobs require specific skills. Uh, but on a you know on a macro basis, it, it, enthusiasm and um, it, it, you know intelligence and and thinking skills, you know, they, they'll help you in just about any job. Yeah, it is interesting looking through a lot of the profiles of Major League Baseball executives and actually across a lot of sports now, you see GMs that come from a economics or a statistics background. And that seems like it's probably a big departure from when you first got into the industry, as well as we become more numbers based. Is that the way you kind of see it as well? Well, yeah, I think, uh, you know, now there's a huge uh, demand for data. And, and uh, you know, big data will drive the decisions. But I think that a, a good executive will know how to sympathize to the data, but also to, uh, you know, weight it properly to help them make, make the good decisions. You know, I, I, I thought when I was younger, when I got into an executive job, that, oh, this will be easy. Uh, you know, you make one choice out of a couple of choices. Uh, always pick the the right choice, but it's like when you get into these executive jobs, uh, your choices aren't uh, black and white. 
You know, there, there's a lot of gray in those choices, and the good executives know how to balance uh, their choices. And, and, you know, frankly, a lot of times your choices, uh, <laughs> they won't be very good. You'll, you'll be required to choose one uh, from a list of many choices that aren't, aren't, aren't the ones that you want. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, like I said, if you have a, you know, critical thinking skills, um, you know, and, and some, well, what do you call it? Some good values. Yeah. Uh, and, and, um, you know, a, a good temperament, you don't let your emotions get the best of you all the time. Uh, you know, you should be able to make some good decisions to help your own career. So most people know you as a major league baseball general manager and executive, but you were a dual sports athlete in college. You played linebacker and catcher at Amherst, which is a, a great school, Amherst College in Massachusetts. And I've read for years when you were playing college ball, you were always talking up the scouts that came to your games, picking their brain. Was this just because you were a curious person and that kind of fits in with that dependability and intellect and all those things like that curio- natural curiosity? Or did you kind of have it in the back of your mind back then even that you wanted to pursue a career in baseball? Well, I, I, uh, I, you know, I was an athlete in high school and uh, I was much better football player than baseball player. Um, and I went to Amherst because I thought I could play uh, and participate in both the sports there. I got accepted at Princeton and I wasn't sure I could play both baseball and football at the level it was required by, by uh, Princeton. So I ended up going to Amherst and that, that, was, that was the right choice. Um, I, you know, I, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a professional athlete, but, uh, I went to, uh, one of Lenny Murillo's tryout camps and I ran a 60 yard dash and I was well below standard there and I was a catcher and they timed my throws to second base and I was below average standard there. <laughs> and, uh, M- Mr. Murillo gave me some career counseling that day, uh, and said, well, maybe there's some other things that, uh, that you might like to do or some other skills that you might have <laughs> that, will ha- that will help you develop your baseball career. And I, I always appreciate that because, I mean, Lenny had played for the Cubs a long time ago, and he was uh, a renowned scout in the uh, Northeast and throughout New England. He scouted for the Major League Scouting Bureau for years. But, I, I, you know, I appreciated his feedback. And then, you know, from that time on, I, I had uh, pretty much dedicated myself to, you know, following a career path uh, that would get me into professional baseball or professional football on the administrative level. So you started in baseball as a scout with the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, we hear countless stories about how being a scout is a grind. You know, it's just hard work and out on the road all the time and, and traveling around to tournaments and high schools and whatever it may be. What, but what do you remember most fondly about those days? Well, you know, Harry Dalton was the GM of the Orioles, and, and uh, he, before that he had built a uh, – or with the Orioles, he had built their great team, 66, 70, 71. His greatest trade, of course, was he picked up Frank Robinson. But, you know, Harry was a terrific teacher. He groomed uh, several executives, including Lou Gorman, uh, had, a, had a terrific career. And then John Sherrill is one of the best executives I've ever seen. Right. He was, tra- he was trained by Harry and Lou in Baltimore and went on to have a great career in, in Kansas City where he won the World Series and, of course, in Atlanta where he, where he still um, is a, is a top-level executive. But, you know, Harry took me into the office and he said, uh, you know, I'll, I'll train you. He goes, I'll give you a set of skills that you can utilize to make a livelihood. 
and that'll be your player evaluation skills. And then he, he paired me up and he, he mentored me. He paired me up with his best scouts, his best pro scout, Ray Scarborough. I traveled with him. His best amateur scout, Wally Yowes from Baltimore. I traveled with him in the amateur level. I went out scouting or did some office uh, work and was overseen by Walter Shannon, who had worked for Branch Rickey with the Cardinals years years ago, and he was one of Harry's lieutenants. So Harry gave me a broad-based uh, program. Uh, one of the jobs that I had was that I was the area scout for Wisconsin, Northern Illinois, and Minnesota for the Brewers because we didn't have an area scout there. And not only did I work in the office, I got to go and work that area. I uh, did a lot of tryout camps in the summer, a lot of promotional work. And then, uh, you know, got a chance to participate in the draft for, you know, after, for the first couple of years working out of the office, which I really appreciated. That that gave me, a uh, you know, an ability to look through the prism of an area scout's job. And, and Harry's big thing was, I'm going to expose you and put you in a lot of jobs so that when you get to be the top executive for the baseball operation, that you know what a good job is in all those jobs. So I was very fortunate to work with some good veteran people. And, of course, Bud Seelig was the owner of the Brewers at the time, and he taught me how to run a, a budget there. But Bud's nickname was Budget Bud. <laughs> and, and um, you know, he, he was a stickler. Uh, he, he'd grind you up on your uh, your uh, submissions for the budget. But, he, he you know, he, he knew how to get the most out of the budget and how to get the most – efficient uh, use of the, the dollars to put together a winning team. So I was grateful for the training that Harry gave me with his great baseball people and to Bud Seeley who taught me how to run a how to how to run a budget and, you know, get the most out of it. You have an incredible eye for baseball talent. There's no denying that. We could go on for the next 20 minutes just listing all the players you've identified, drafted, signed, and developed over your career. I just wonder um, – do you ever look back and say, wow, that was, that was really impressive what I was able to do, or I'm really proud of this moment, or is it always just looking forward onto the next moment? Well, I, I, you know, everybody has, uh, you know, certain gifts that they have or your certain talents um, that, you know, they can bring to bear in the marketplace. I, 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 just, I just happen to know who the best players were. And I think I learned that, you know, playing ball in the backyard, picking up teams. Um, but, I mean, I just always knew who, who the best athletes were, who the best players were. I, I don't know if it was intuitively or, uh, you know, my father was in personnel. He was the uh, superintendent of the schools, and he hired all the teachers. And he used to tell me what traits he'd look for to hire the best teachers. And, um, I don't know, I, I, I just – I just had a had a knack for it. It wasn't it wasn't uh, something. It was something that came easy to me. And then, of course, with the uh, training of the Dalton gang, you know, they, they gave me all the technical indicators to look for. And um, you know, that's that's I've been able to make a living. Fortunately. Well, what trait? Now you have you, you're. I have to ask. What traits did your father look for? What did he tell you that he looked for when hiring staff? Uh, my father. Uh, looked for teachers one that that felt that it was their you know uh calling in life to uh, teach other people and to pass on their their knowledge and you know if you ask my father what was the most fulfilling part of his career 
he would talk about, he started out as a reading teacher. He would talk about how he taught an eighth grader to read that previous to that grade didn't have uh, reading skills. Um, you know, so, so that's, I mean, my, my, my dad liked making a connection with people and helping them uh, develop skills. And, you know, he looked for people with those, those same kind of traits that had an enthusiasm, uh, you know, uh, an even keeled disposition uh, and were very passionate about helping other people through education. So a love for the game, which makes a lot of sense. Um, as a scout, I imagine, and as an executive, when you're making decisions, I imagine you really have to trust what you see. And you have to have great confidence in how a player will project or how a decision will look in the future. How did you learn to really trust yourself? Because so many young people that I speak with have a trouble trusting what they see or what they believe or, or even having faith in their own opinions. How did you kind of learn that skill, that confidence? Yeah, well, <laughs> you know what they say, uh, you can't be an expert until you make a lot of mistakes. True. And through uh, trial and error, uh, over, over the years, I I learned what skills played at what position uh, when it came to uh, Major League Baseball players, um, and and uh, you know I, I I think you just have to trust what you see and then uh, put that against uh, w- what skills you know are required uh, by the job. Like if you take a look at. Uh, uh, Bill Belichick, one of the great coaches of all time in the NFL, he has a profile for each position of all the skills that he likes to see at those positions, uh, based on size, you know, based on speed, uh, based on toughness, and everybody in that organization knows uh, the type of players that he's looking for to fill each of those positions and the skill set. Um, so, you know, I, I think that if the organization does a good job, they, they, they tell you what to look for. They show you what it is that they're looking for, and then they give you a chance to go out there and do it. Um, there's a lot of video assets, of course, where you can teach the scouts exactly what you're looking for. Uh, but in terms of, you know, gaining confidence uh, in my judgment, you know, that, 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 that took a lot of mistakes. Uh, that, that took a lot of time, and you know, fortunately, people had patience uh, with me along with me along the way. Yeah, for sure. So, as fans, we first get introduced to a player at the draft. I mean, most of us aren't following high school sports or watching the college tournament scene or anything like that. So, we see a player at the draft, and we get excited about it, right? And then there's this multi-year gap where we just don't really see that much of them, and we maybe hear a report from the minors, or you know, this guy's doing great, or whatever it may be, but we don't really think about him too much until they make it to the way all the way to the majors. But within the organization, this period of time from acquisition until actually making it to the majors, that development phase, is hugely important. What would you say are the key components as you see it in this player development phase? Well, uh, yeah, that's good. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about player development because that's that's what we're going to be talking about on this uh, course we're doing for SMWW Sports Management Worldwide. I mean, you know, player development is really – um, developing the skills those uh, a player needs to be a successful major league player, and uh, that is developing the skills, the physical skills, of course, that they they need at their position, and then uh, teaching them how to practice properly, 
so that they develop the habits along the way that will help them be successful in their job. And so if I were to say what, what is good player development, it's having a good educational plan for each player and having a baseline when they start in the organization, and that would come from your original scouting report and any test that you'd give them prior to hiring them and, and them starting out on their major league career. And then um, juxtaposing those skills against the skills that you need to compete at the major league level. You know, we're, what are this player's uh, strengths? You know, how, how can he help you win a game? Um, and then uh, capitalizing on those and coming up with a, with a program to not only enhance those, but to help him uh, address whatever limitations he has that might hold him back from from getting to the big leagues and, and being a competitive player for the club. Yeah, as you mentioned, you're launching a new online class along with our friends at Sports Management Worldwide, and you're teaching this very concept of player development. It's a really big subject. So how do you, it's an eight-week online course. What are, what are some of the main points you're going to focus on? How are you going to really educate this, this audience of people that will, will be hanging on your every word to learn what it's like being in player development from the executive side? What are you going to focus in on? Well, I'm going to... Uh... I'm going to rely on some of the uh, great baseball minds to give the, the students a uh, broad-based understanding about what player development is. So we're going to read uh, Paul Richards, the uh, great Oriole manager. We're going to read his modern baseball strategy, and we're going to focus on how Paul Richards played percentage baseball as early as the uh, uh, 50s. Um, with the Orioles and what kind of development program he had in place that, that, have, that are really tried and true throughout Major League Baseball. And then we're also going to focus on another great executive, probably the preeminent executive in the history of baseball, Branch Rickey. We're going to read his little blue book. And you'll see how uh, Branch Rickey was a uh, visionary for his time. Um, he started up the player development system, if you will, through across baseball. So we're going to hit, take a historical look at through a lot of uh, branches quotes. And that'll give us a good foundation. And then we're going to take that to uh, the, the, uh, the pitching side. I mean, you could have a whole seminar on pitching, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You can do pitching, 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 and pitching. Uh, so we're going to take a look at a, a critical look at uh, how to be a successful major league pitcher. And then we're going to look at some of the other things that you have to do in player development to have a good mindset. Uh, we're going to read Tom Hansen's play big, uh, mental, uh, uh, psychological approach to develop in the right mindset to succeed. So the, you'll, uh, the students will get a good foundation in uh, not only tried and true ways of major league baseball, uh, but also to understand how to measure the skills required um, to identify major leaguers and, and uh, how clubs today are are continuing to enhance their player development operation through the use of technology. Do you feel confident this online course will help uh, people who are aspiring to work in baseball? That will help set them towards a path on the on the right path towards getting that job. Well, I hope so. Um, you know, we, we used a lot of this material. Uh, when I was in three organizations, uh, we particularly built a baseline of material from a terrific player development operation, probably the best player development operation I've ever been around. 
and that was with the Expos. And then when I went to the Oriole, or when, when I went to the Red Sox, we had to build up our player development operation. So a lot of the successful people that came through the Red Sox organization got a good got a good bit of this type of uh, of training there. And then uh, we turned the Red Sox around and built a first-rate organization that ended up winning the whole four World Series. And then when I went to the Orioles in uh, 2012, a lot of the staff people there, particularly on the player development side, enjoyed uh, a lot of this same material. A lot of the managers, the coaches there, uh, you know, to give them a foundation and to understand exactly what the club was looking for in good player development. So this material has trained a lot of professional people and helped them in their job. And I'm sure it will give a good foundation to anybody that's interested in, in uh, player development across the number of professional sports by giving them the basic concepts and understanding about, you know, what it's all about. For anyone listening who's interested in this course that Dan's launching very soon, you can go to smww.com and get more information on the course. It does sound really fascinating, Dan. I wonder, just hearing the way you talk about player development and how you you really respect what was happening with the Expos and and you've seen it work with the Red Sox and the and the Orioles, was this one of your favorite parts of being a GM? Was this development phase of after acquisition getting the player to reach their full potential? Yeah, you, you <laughs> You know, uh, when I left the uh, when I left the Brewers in uh, 1987, uh, I, I had in my last two years I was a scouting director there, and um, yeah, Mr. Dalton always told me that the player development, the director of player development job or the farm director, was the job where he had the most fun over the course of his career, and he he always told me that it was good training in regard to assembling a major league club because not only did you have to put the teams together, but you had to come up with individual educational plans for all the players and then help them develop the skills they needed to progress throughout the system uh, and, and get to the big leagues. Um, so when I got to Montreal, I went there as the director of player development. And, um, you know, it, it, it's a job that in your – once you're in it, it takes up a lot of time because you've got to oversee, um, you know, six or seven teams and a number of people. So all your, um, all your communication skills, um, have to work. Yeah. If you're going to have an efficient operation. People have to have to know what, what their job is, what's expected by them. Uh, and then of course you have to come up with a system to hold them accountable. Uh, but it's, it's a, it's a terrific, it's a terrific job. It's, it's a job that I had the most fun in. And, you know, we were fortunate to have some great, great players with the Expos. Larry Walker just got in the Hall of Fame. Marcus Grissom, Moises Alou. Um, Kirk Reeder, uh, Rondell White. Yeah, Kirk, Kirk Reeder, Rondell White. Yeah, Reeder came up. He was, he was a top starter for a long time. Yep. Um, Gary Hughes, the scouting, scouting director, was telling me that they got like 60 players that come through the farm system. We got to the big leagues wow. over like a five-year period. So it was like, uh, t- you know, about 11 or 12 per year that were coming through that farm system. I mean, just an unbelievable and productive system. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, it was great. I loved it. And, 
I'm sure we'll get a lot of people with a passion for player development that'll, you know, get a lot out of this course. For sure. You've been the architect of many famous transactions. As a growing up Red Sox fan myself, trading for Pedro Martinez, signing Manny Ramirez to a huge contract, trading for Derek Lowe and Jason Veritek, there's probably 50 more I could list from just your days with the Red Sox. I'm curious about your mentality, though, as you approach any deal. I mean, these are huge transactions. There's massive amounts of money on the line. There's future of the the organization. Are you resolute in these decisions, knowing it's the right move? Or do you allow for any like doubt or fears or inhibitions? Like I look at this and think I probably wouldn't sleep for weeks as I led up to a decision like this. And yet you seemed able to pull them off really easily. How, well, what's your mentality in these moments? Well, you know, I think, um, you know, the system that, um, that uh, Harry taught us all as executives was to put a specific value on uh, each position and to understand how to um, put all those ingredients together to uh, build a winning club. Now, of course, if you're going to have a winning club uh, and sustain it over a long period of time, the one recurring theme that all these clubs do well if they're going to be competitive year in and year out, is have a good player development operation. Okay, that that that's the standard. That's what you have to do across the board. Uh, that's the philosophy that that Branch Rickey put in place across the industry, and that's true today. If you're going to have a good team year in and year out, you got to have a good player development operation. Okay, it's, it, 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 you know teams can't question that. That's that's just fundamental. Um, so, you know, uh, uh, you know, understanding what goes into player development uh, for a major league baseball operation because it's so key, and then communicating that, you know, to the fan base so they understand, you know, where you are in the process of uh, having a good player development operation. Where, where are those players? Uh, in regard to coming up to help the major league club, where are they in their development? You know, they're, they're, for example, like, like Kansas city, they had all those players together in the minor leagues. Uh, they came up to the big leagues, did well. Uh, they, they uh, won the pennant in 2014. They beat us in the LCS and then they got back and they won the world series. But all those players came through the system. Uh, Kansas city had a good player development operation. Um, they were there, they competed, they won. Uh, and then they had to start the cycle over again, uh, you know, to rebuild their organization. I and mean, what did they do? They relied on the player development operation to help them build the team. And then after that team had its day in the sun uh, and they had to rebuild again, they had to rely on their player development operation again. So, you know, that, that just shows the importance of it for teams, especially the small market teams that are trying to compete. You know, these big clubs, they got more resources, they got more money. But the lifeblood of those uh, small market teams has got to be in player development. So as a fan, we we see the game through the four hours a night on the field. Like we see, you know, you obviously hear newspaper, read newspaper reports and you see highlights and do whatever else. But really, we live through those four hours a night on the field. But there are huge staffs of people behind the scenes we never see. There are hours of time spent together traveling and practicing and training and all the other components that go into a a fully functioning organization. How important is it as the GM 
to establish an overall positive culture? Like, how do you develop the culture and a set of expectations and all of those things? And is that important? Is that something that GM worries about? Or are you more worried about the day-to-day operations of just the team? Or do you try to establish an organizational culture as well? Well, I, I, I think the organizational culture is key if you're going to succeed. You know, people have to know what's important to the organization. But more importantly, you have to show them what's important by the decisions that you make um, during, you know, during the course of your time there. So establishing a winning culture um, is really setting out the guidelines and then showing some leadership, not just setting out the guidelines uh, and saying one thing, hey, you, 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 got to, uh, you, you got to walk the talk, right? <laughs> you yeah. know, leader, leadership within an organization is more about what you do. And the good leaders, they'll tell you what they're going to do, and then they'll go out and they'll, they'll do it. Uh, when, when there's a gap between what people tell you and what they do, you know, to me that's not effective leadership. But if you're going to run an organization, you got to set out the guidelines, the expectations, hold people accountable, and then you got to have some credibility. You you you, you got to do what you say you're going to do uh, to lead that organization into a uh, winning team. And uh, to me, that's how you would create a, a good environment. We're going to go over that in the class too. You know, what are some building blocks that you can put in place to help yourself um, so that so that when you get an opportunity to be in player development, um, you know, you maximize that opportunity. Yeah, establishing a winning culture. I like that. Uh, when you were the GM of the Expos, there wasn't quite the same immediate attention and scrutiny as there would later be as the GM in Boston. When you came to Boston looking back, of course you knew you know what to expect a little, but were there any eye-opening moments for you that you remember from the early days with the Red Sox? Anything that stands out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dan yeah, Shaughnessy? I'll, I'll tell you what stood out. I got to, uh, I got to Boston. And my very first day at Fenway Park, it was opening day. It was 1994. I took the job on February, first part of February, 1994. And I walked up out of the dugout. My team had not thrown a pitch. We hadn't played a game. And one of the fans screamed at me, Hey, you cat, you bum, get some pitching. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Boston. yeah, welcome to Boston, right? So, so, so that wasn't uh, that wasn't necessarily the media, right? That that was the passion of the fan base. Um, but um, you know, I mean, that had some uh, you know, that had some huge challenges in a major market that you don't have in a smaller market. Like uh, you know, Montreal is a big market for hockey, but it's not such a big market for baseball. Yeah. So. Um, you know that 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 story just really you know demonstrates the passion of the fans in those major markets, um, and the um, uh, you know that that that's in uh, any any major market. You see that in the soccer teams around the world where fans are very passionate. But but you know that that's all good. Um, you know, and part of the job of, of an executive is to communicate with the fans. Uh, communicate with the writers, and I think that um, I learned a lot from my experience in Boston that made me a better executive, and uh, one of the things that I could have done is be more communicative 
with the people that were covering the ball club year or day in and day out. And I made a point of making sure that I did that when I got to Baltimore. So you're an ideas guy. Baseball seems like it's in a bit of a crisis right now, I guess you could say, maybe not just for the, you know, the sign stealing stories and all that kind of things. But it just seems like the game in some degree has lost a little bit of its youthful audience. So in your eyes, what does baseball need to do a better job of? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. Um, You know, I'm sure MLB has a lot of focus groups that they that they work on. You know, I know from my time of running a uh, a youth sports operation, uh, one of the things that uh, MLB could do a better job on is really how we process young players learning the game and, and, and coming into baseball. You know, baseball, as you know, is, is a little bit harder to learn than the other sports. It takes more fine skills, if you will. Um, you know, hitting a baseball is hard, but also throwing overhand is hard. I mean, that's not the most natural thing to do. So, you know, processing players at the young level, uh, giving them an opportunity, to, you know, to continue to play, um, you know, the, the, the game at the major league level is, is uh, terrifically entertaining, but I'm sure there's uh, some things that we can do to, uh, you, know, um, you know, catch people's attention. Uh, I've always looked at baseball as a, as a family outing and having as many things to entertain the entire family around the ballpark and at the ballpark uh, has always been a, you know, a, a staple of having a good organization. So, you know, as many things as baseball can have that are, you know, that fans can participate in as part of that over, overall experience, like seeing the, seeing the veteran players that have played in the organization, uh, learning some of the skills that the players are doing on the field around the ballpark. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to see a little bit, bit more of that. And then processing young players as they, come into baseball, not, not, not just uh, baseball players, but also softball players. I think that, uh, you know, MLB could uh, do, do a uh, better job with. Dan, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and sharing so much expertise. We'll finish up with this because I know you're a busy guy and you have a lot to get back to. Um, if you were going back today, you're starting college all over again with the dream of working in baseball, what would your strategy be? Well, I, I would, um, I, I would uh, probably uh, try to get an internship while I was going through college with a, uh, a team or an operation to see if I liked it. And, uh, you know, uh, I live on the Cape Cod, and, you know, Cape Cod, for the baseball players that come here, it's the preeminent summer college league, but it's really a, a summer college internship for the players that are considering to go into pro ball. So if I was in college, I'd try to get with uh, one of those preeminent summer college leagues. The New England Collegiate Baseball League is a good one. The Cape Cod League is a good one. The Northwoods League is another good one. And see if I liked it. And then, you know, baseball is the kind of thing that – you're going to have to spend a lot of hours at the ballpark. You might as well find out if it's for you while you're in college. And if you have a real passion for it, you know, you'll meet a lot of people that are passionate about it like you. And you'll find out that, you know, this is something that you want to commit to. If, if, if 
on the other hand, if it's not for you, you'll find that out too. Um, so I, I think that's probably the best advice I could offer. Yeah. Do you think coming, coming through today for sure? And taking your player development course, of course. But, um, I wonder too, is there any specific skill like that, um, that you would focus in on to possibly developing? Is there a certain trend that you've seen in your, in your most recent years in baseball that is a, a developing aspect of the game that maybe would set somebody up for success? I would say uh, your ability to communicate effectively, to speak clearly, to uh, write clearly, and then also an ability to listen, um, you know, would be key skills that, that uh, you could develop now that will serve you well in the future. Thank you to Dan for coming on the show. If you ever wanted to learn player development, you can learn directly from Dan. As we mentioned during the interview, as part of his online course with our friends over at Sports Management Worldwide, Dan will literally teach you his process for player development. It's amazing. Check it out. Thank you for listening, everyone. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and share. Tis the season to share. We want to grow even bigger in 2021, and we need your help to get there. The more you share our content, the more people get exposed to all we are providing. I really appreciate it. See you all next week.